You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. And now, whew, without further ado, adieu, adieu, it's time for Minicash's Sales at 1321 East Main in Burley to bring you Dr. History that's making a whole bunch of noise in the background. And Minicash's Sales is brought to you and is located at 1321 East Main in Burley, right across from the airport. The very best of doors and lumber and vinyl and metal siding and countertops and Tartar Farm and Ranch equipment. Zach and Joanne and the whole crew are just absolutely phenomenal. People, they put in my new back door. They're right across from the Burley Airport, Minicasha Sales. Whew, your turn. Good morning, Doctor. Good morning, Zeb. How you doing this morning? Well, you just are kind of a, you're a stick in the mud, not wearing green for St. Patrick's Day. What's the matter with you? Well, this was the only shirt that was clean. <laughs> not, not really. Your wife is going to kill you. I had plenty of shirts. Your, what's of shirts. your wife's first name? I forgot. I'm not going to tell you I now. I didn't think so. <laughs> but I, I will say yesterday was our 37th anniversary. Really? And my dear wife and I enjoyed eating out a couple of times and just had a nice pleasant day yesterday. I got to send her a condolence card. Yes, that would be appreciated. 37, 37 is all you've been years. married? Yeah, we're just rookies. Well, Deanne and I have been married oh, 43. Well, you're much older than I am. Read the book, Ken. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not saying anymore. <laughs> okay. I'm done. All right. What are we going to talk about today? Well, how about if we go north to Alaska? See, last week we robbed a bunch of trains, but we weren't very good at it, and everybody in our gang kept getting shot up. Yeah, that was a kind of a failure there. Yeah, that was a failure. Now you're going to tell me to mush huskies up to Alaska? We're going to head to Alaska, oh, north boy. to Alaska. Here we go. Well, you know, Alaska, of course, is situated in the extreme northwestern part of North America. It's the largest state. It was thought that the name Alaska came from an Eskimo name, which meant great country. No, it didn't. It came from a guy that was going to ask his girlfriend out. Alaska. Uh, Alaska. Well, <laughs> uh, the name does come from an Eskimo word, Alaksa, oh. and it means mainland. I see. So... Of course, you know, Alaska is bordered by the Arctic Ocean, the Bering Sea, the Pacific Ocean, and on the east by the Canadian Yukon Territory. Now, Alaska was discovered actually in 1741 by the guy by the name of Vitus Bering uh, on his second voyage to determine whether Siberia and North America were connected. Mm -hmm. Well, his ship was wrecked on Bering Island, which was named after him, obviously, and he died, but his crew returned to Russia with sea otter pelts. Now, this kind of piqued the Russian interest in Alaska, and for the next 60 years, the Alaskan coast attracted a bunch of Russian fur traders and trappers. Now, these men had only one quest in mind, and that was to get the furs in any way possible. Now, unfortunately, this included stealing from the Aleutian Indians. Mm-mm. Uh, when they wouldn't sell to the Russians, and unfortunately, the Russians didn't stop there. They kidnapped and sometimes enslaved the Aleutian women and men, and on occasion actually killed some of the Aleutian Indians in the process. So, not a pleasant experience for the Aleutian Indians at that time, the Aleuts. Well, duh. 
But anyway, whaling and fishing were important, and the United States became a commercial rival. In 1821, Russia issued a decree that said, you guys can't come into these waters anymore. Well, by 1857, the Russian minister to Washington began hinting that the Tsar would be willing to sell Alaska to the United States, so negotiations began in 1859, and in 1867, a treaty was formed, and the United States purchased Alaska for $7.2 million. Now, many Americans thought that was too much money for this large tract of useless land, and they called it Seward's Folly, after William Seward, the man who negotiated the deal. I remember him. Yeah. Well, according to Jack London, gold was discovered as early as 1804 by the Russians in Alaska. Mm -hmm. But London's story in the Atlantic Monthly magazine in 1903 stated that a Russian governor at Sitka, after being shown about 50 small nuggets, discouraged anyone from talking about the find. He was sure that the news would encourage a flood of gold rushers, which we know happened. It did. It did. Well, in 1880, Joe Juno. Does that name sound familiar? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Dick Harris discovered rich placer deposits in the southeastern coast. Well, by 1881, the gold rush town of Juneau made its appearance on the map along with thousands of miners who inhabited the town. So the Juneau discovery actually was kind of a mild mildly productive area mm-hmm. however but when i say mildly that's everything's in perspective because by the end of the 19th century the juno mines had actually unearthed over 17 million in gold holy smokes now back then 17 million was you know a pretty good chunk yeah well isn't it now well you know give or take a little i mean are you going to turn it down if somebody stepped up to your door from publisher's clearinghouse and gave you 17 million i think i would say yeah thank you very much there you go so now although they were numerous uh, small gold finds uh, before 1892 no event had a greater impact on the later Yukon and Klondike gold rushes than the opening of the Chilkoot Pass. Mm -hmm. In 1879, a group of 20 prospectors attempted to cross the Chilkoot Pass into Alaska, but they were prevented from climbing the trail by the Indians. Where was the pass? Right out of Skagway. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I've been there. And Is that the one that was carved out? The steps were yes. carved out of the snow they, and ice? They called it the Golden Staircase. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I'll talk about that a little bit in here a second. But okay. uh, the Indians didn't want them coming in there because they had the same fear the Russians did that it would affect the fur trade. Absolutely. So the pass was open to American gold hunters uh, when help came from an unexpected source. The commander of the SS Jamestown... The captain sent his naval lieutenant to the pass, and there the Indians saw firsthand how a Gatling gun worked. Uh-oh. Now, it must have been impressive because uh, uh, in 1880, the Chilkoot Pass was officially open to white men for the first time. Now, uh, you know, I've talked before about the Chilkoot Pass being the Golden Staircase, mm-hmm. and a lot of people made money other than uh, mining for gold. This guy dug out a staircase, which I meant is called the Golden Staircase, yeah. and then charged these men to climb the staircase. Now, and when you talk about a staircase, I'm thinking of something that's 12 to 16 steps. What was this dude? Um, I was. I have a picture of it. I don't know if I have a picture oh, here with okay. me, but it's, I'm going to guess it's... Um, you said it was, uh, what, a mile? No, no, I don't think it's that far. Oh. Uh, I'm going to guess maybe a third to a half mile. Holy smokes. But it's, it's almost a pretty good uh, staircase up. And what about the other side going down? 
that wasn't so bad because once you got on the other side, you just got on your butt and slid down. Yes, oh. and, and it was more more level. But I see. he charged people, and he had a place along the staircase for a person to step out and rest. But if you stepped out and rested, you might wait an hour or two hours to get back in to line. To get back in line, you're kidding me. There was one right after another. Okay, this is a good place to take a break. Take okay. a break. Step out on the side. All right. Here we go. Minicasha Sales, thirteen twenty one East Main and Burley with Zach and Joanne and the whole crew. Hey, spring remodeling. You're remodeling for spring. I understand you got a bunch of carpet from them and everything. They did a great job. Oh, man. I, you must have all the money with all that carpet and everything. Good <laughs> heavens. Well, you know what I did? I bought a brand new door from them. And I love that door. I just think it's the greatest thing in the world. Well, they've got vinyl and metal siding and all your carpet needs and your windows and your garage doors. And you know what else, Ken? I know you know because you've got horses and everything. They've got as a distributorship for Tartar Farm and Ranch equipment, all the panels and the cattle handling equipment and the tanks and the waterers and everything. Tartar is absolutely the best. So you be sure and stop over and see them right across from the airport in Burley, 1321 East Main in Burley, Minicasha Sales. Wonderful people bringing you this wonderful gentleman. He told me to say that. Dr. History. Okay, so... Here they get to the topic Chilkut Pass. Now, that's not the end of the trail. You see, up on the pass was the border into Canada. The Canadian Mounties were making sure you had 2,000 pounds of equipment and gear before they would let you into Canada. You had to carry this up the staircase? Yes. How? So you you made trips. You might carry 50 to 75, maybe 100 pounds per trip. So you would go up the staircase and down the staircase. That's 10 trips. At least. Yes. Okay, but what about your gear on the other side? Did you have somebody standing there watching it? Okay, that's where the guys learned what when to have a good partner because what they would do is they would try to get two or three or four guys together one would stay with all the gear another one would stay with the gear on the other end where you dropped it off and you would go back and forth and back and forth otherwise your stuff would get stolen how long did it take you to make one trip you know i don't know that but i'm guessing it had to be at least one day to get in line right there was that many people there was that many headed in so, but in 1886, miners struck a rich placer field on a branch of what they call Forty Mile River. Mm-hmm. The first interior gold town developed at Forty Mile in Canada, and this was only 25 miles from the border, so not that far. Wow! But it was a spectacular—well, not a not that spectacular of a rich gold site, but there was enough to keep people happy and keep them going. Well, when that looks as it was going to be uh, exhausted, uh, the mining activity shifted 240 miles away to Sir. Circle City. Circle City. And this is also, uh, it was the first uh, to look like it was really a gold rush town. Uh, the Circle City, they had dance halls, opera house, saloons. Uh, what a St. Patrick's Day they had. They had a lot of fun. Regular steamboat service actually uh, to the Yukon. They could go that way when the weather was okay. My. So, anyway, late in 1896, gold was discovered on the Klondike, a tributary of the Upper Yukon in Canada. Mm -hmm. And it was originally founded by an 
experienced prospector named Bob Henderson. Well, he told an Indian by the name of Skookum Jim. You never trust a guy with the name of Skookum. Skookum. Skookum Jim. Well, they were camping along this river, and Skookum took his frying pan down to the creek to wash it, and he got the notion that, you know, might try a little uh, panning in the river. Well, in no time at all, he'd panned about $4 worth of gold. Now, that was considered good in the Yukon, where 10 cents a pan was the norm. Really? So, so he found four bucks worth? Four bur- yeah, just that quick. So wow. uh, at first, uh, many of the old hands at Circle City and 40 Mile, they refused to believe any version of the gold strike because they'd all heard it before. You know, people would always come in and say, hey, I've got this great strike. And Why would people shoot their mouth off? That's another question. And then when they did, a lot of these people didn't believe it. Yeah, and then Skookum might not have been found them. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But anyway, pretty soon, large quantities of gold started showing up in Circle City, and the gold rush was on. Look out. Skookum caused it. He did. So it was a slow start to the rush because the rest of the world was even more skeptical than the miners in Circle City. But by July 1897, there were around 4,000 gold rushers in the Klondike. And the real excitement came when two steamers arrived in Seattle and San Francisco carrying gold valued at $1,500,000. Would you go all the way to Alaska on gold underneath the guise of listening to a person by the name of Skookum? (laughs) I don't think so. But when those ships arrived in those cities, that was proof enough. Uh, uh, The headlines in the newspapers, they said, man, we've got, there's gold up there, El Dorado, Hmm. and some 100,000 men and women started out for the north to reap its riches. Dawson City was the goal, and about 40,000 made it there, and another 10,000 ended up in Alaska. Holy smokes. Now, I've got to tell you how hard this was. Uh, mining was done at the early California level of technology with a few necessary cold-weather twists. Yeah. Okay, the bedrock where the gold lay was anywhere between 20 and 200 feet underground. Whoa. Now, in order to penetrate the permafrost, miners had to burn out a shaft with wood fires. The back-breaking process of thawing, digging out the dirt, and thawing again finally made it to the bedrock. Now, what they would do, Zeb, is they would chop down a bunch of trees. Yeah. Okay? They would make a big fire, maybe, I'm going to say, 20, 30 feet around. Mm-hmm. They would burn the wood, and it yeah. would thaw the ground maybe a couple of feet. Okay, so then they'd go in, they'd dig that out. Dig that out. Then they'd fill it up with wood again. Oh, my Start it on fire. It'd go down another two or three feet. Holy And they would do that gradually down, like, say, 20, and some places it says 200 feet to get down. Now, They must have got sick of marshmallows and weenies. Now, I'm guessing when they got so far, maybe it wasn't as frozen. I I don't know. Oh, my. Well, well, then what, just a shovel? Yeah, shovels and picks, you know. (laughs) But, uh, you know, when they finally got down to bedrock, uh, the gold-bearing gravel had to be then hoisted out of the hole in buckets, and then they would store it in large piles until summer. When the warm weather came, the water needed to process the gravel in pans and sluices. So it was not a lot of fun, but it was profitable. It had to be cold. Uh, oh, you know, I, I've told stories before of the gruesomeness of some of those guys that just would get so discouraged they would just call it quits and end their lives. Oh basically. my goodness! Sake. But uh, between eighteen ninety, from eighteen ninety seven to nineteen hundred, fifty million in gold was mined in the Klondike. Really? 
So All because of Skookum. Because of Skookum. But with so many gold rushes in the region, it was inevitable that the gold would be discovered somewhere else. Well, Nome, the Nome gold rush in Alaska soon followed. And that was along the beaches. And uh, the people would come out along the beach and... When the tide would go out, they'd rush out and actually find gold along wow. the beach. So That's a lot easier than burning a oh, hole. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, there were claim jumpers. Uh, uh, they sought to drive out many of the original miners. Tensions were high in Nome because fighting was the order of the day, really? basically. But Just like a bunch of St. Patty's days. <laughs> that's right. But by 1900, even though the gold rushers were mining over two million a year, a lot of them were leaving Nome just to stay alive. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, in 1904, the industrialized mining came to Alaska in the form of dredge mining. Dredges were able to scoop out bedrock gravel and wash it down automatically. And then steam, or hot water, was driven into the ground to defrost the earth, and hydraulic hoses washed away the overlay of soil covering the bedrock. And the first large dredge to be used in mining operations was in Nome. And the 20th century had come to Alaska, and the great gold rushes of North America mm. uh, was over. But i got to show you a picture here, Zach. Yeah, everybody at home can see it. Hold well, it up by the microphone so everybody so can everybody see it. it. Okay, this yeah. is what they call dead horse. Oh, my goodness. The white pass. That's part of the pass? The, the, there was this, the golden staircase, but the, another route was over what they call white pass. In that picture, there's got to be at least 20 dead horses. Right. And the sad thing about that whole story is how they would take a horse and they would uh, haul their gear in and out, in and out, in and out, until basically the horse Gave on. Dead. Now, oh, in fact, there are some cases where the horse would be going along a trail and sometimes step off the trail and drop three or 30, 40, or 100 feet. And some of, the, some of them claimed the horses were just committing suicide, that they were just... They've had it. They'd had it. Oh, man. So That's it, gruesome. It is. It's kind of a sad part of that whole hey, All for the lust and the quest of gold. Yeah. Aye, I mean, yes. I look at that picture, and it, being horse lovers like you and I are, it just kind of makes me sick how those horses were mistreated. And all because Skookum had to go and wash his frying pan. He did. Good heavens. Well, oh, I do have a picture, Zeb, real oh, quick. What's this picture this of? This is the, oh, the Chilkut Pass. Ladies and gentlemen, look at that. Hold it up to the microphone. I'm okay. kidding, Doc. Can they it's see? not going to work, no. Uh, but that is quite, there's just person after person. Yeah, there's no, no break in between no. there. And they stored their gear here, and then they went over the top. Right, but oh, rem- not just here, but they had to come from Skagway. Which yeah. was several miles, I can't remember how many miles, before they even got oh, to the Golden Staircase. Is. Wow. And I'm sure that not everybody that's in that line or that picture was reputable. Do you think maybe there's a few yeah. crooks in that bunch? Yeah. Yes. Well, listen, Dr. Uh, Skookum Turner, I appreciate it very much. That was a good story. These people were nuts in those days. They probably didn't make hardly any money to live there, let alone come back rich. With all that money that was made, very few actually came back to the States and made it work. Really? Very, very, very few. Very few. Yep. What a sad commentary. It really is. To leave their family and leave warmer temperatures. And some never to return. And some never returned. Oh, my goodness sakes. Well, there you go. That's Dr. Oh, we got a quick call. 30 seconds, caller. Go fast. Yes, sir. Uh, I don't know what Chillicoot is, but uh, the top of White was 22 and a half miles out of Skagway, and it goes from 
sea level to I think it's forty four hundred and some feet. Wow. In that twenty two miles. So if you would have it's nice if you get up there, it's expensive, but it's fun. Let me ask you, if you would have lived back in those days, would you have been one of the gold seekers? No, I think not. Okay. <laughs> I would have been selling shovels and picks. Okay, there you go. There you go. Yep. That, shovels now, and picks. That's a smart thing to say, too. Well, in fact, Zeb, just real quick, there's a lot of guys that did that. Some One guy just hauled up a grindstone. Yeah. And Because he knew all the picks and shovels would have to be sharpened. Oh, there you go. And that's where he made his money. I'll bet you he made a ton. Yeah. Well, there you go. Dr. History, known worldwide. We are now in how many countries? Over 90. Over 90. And how many hits? Over 200,000. 200,000. Over 200,000. Just think of the money we're not making yet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm waiting for that check. (laughs) There you go. Check's in the mail. Minicasha Sales, thank you very much, right across from the Burley Airport with Zach and Joanne and the whole crew over there with everything you need, whether it's vinyl and metal siding or lumber or doors, garage doors, windows, or Tartar Farm and Ranch equipment. It's all there. Get ready for spring by getting a hold of Minicasha Sales, 1321 East Main and Burley. Real quick, I got to do a commercial. What do you want to say? I just want to thank uh, Bert for this book on Diamond Field Jack. Bert Stevenson, if you're listening, thank you for those two books. It's excellent, and Dr. Turner was just gushing when he saw the book. Thank you very much. Ken, have, are you going to be here next week? I don't know yet, but I'll be here two weeks from now. That's the day before I leave for China. Okay, and have you learned Chinese? No. Um, <laughs> have you learned how to eat with chopsticks? No. And are you nervous about your speech? Very nervous. Because it's not just a little classroom, is it? I'm hearing more and more. It's going to be uh, quite a few people. Close to a 1,000. I hope not. And you have been warned not to sever relations with China. Right. Okay. <laughs> Look at the nerves. i got to run. God bless you, man. Thanks so much. Thank you. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.